Welcome in, listeners. It's time for episode 111 of the Slump Buster Podcast. I'm your host, Juju Talk Sports. Join me is, of course, Kyle Ledbetter. And on today's episode, we get you ready for NFL Week 3 with our preview. Give our picks, our predictions, our analysis, and everything you need to know heading into this week. But before we do that, folks, it's time to give a shout out to our partners, Caveman Coffee Co. Caveman is a fantastic single source, single origin goodness from a company with impeccable taste and ethics. The people behind it are beautiful souls, and the coffee is delicious fuel for the never-ending quest to do better, be better, love harder, and enjoy deeper. Guys, I tell you, their nitro cold brew is the perfect blend of energy and refreshment in the morning. Great way to start the day. But why stop there? They have their mammoth blends, which I highly encourage you getting. They have their hibiscus teas, which are delicious. And guys, if you use our promo code slump, you get 15% off your next purchase of any of these fantastic products cavemancoffeeco.com promo code slump guys don't be a chump use promo code slump and get yourself a case today all right y'all kyle ledbetter juju talk sports slump buster episode 111 let's get it let's bust the slump and let's enjoy Slumbusters, it's time for episode 111 of the Slumbuster podcast. We are your hosts, Juju Talk Sports, Kyle Ledbetter, and we are coming off a rough week two in terms of our pick and picks, but we're hoping to rebound. We're hoping to get right. Kyle, how was your weekend, man? My weekend was great. It was a, uh, a fun time going through the NFL slate and uh, laughing at colleges that we traditionally laugh at, like everyone in the Pac-12 for taking an L this weekend. <laughs> I, I, so I didn't watch the first half of the Lions and Packers game on Monday, and I made the joke over on uh, Comical Sports that I left football alone for 45 minutes and everyone was ready to give Jared Goff $132 million again. I don't know how that happened. I didn't watch any of the game. I came in at halftime. The Packers whooped up the rest of the game, and I have no idea what happened. I think it's just a legend now where Jared Goff had like 150 QBR or something in the first half. He was looking good. I, I tuned in a little bit here and there on that game, saw him make that big throw to Quinn and Cephas, saw him make his second touchdown pass there, uh, which was an absolute dime. I mean, right on the money, too, almost in the back of the end zone. But the Lions only had about two and a half quarters of steam in them before everything just started falling off the tracks there for them. Uh, I am impressed with them. They're probably the best bad team so far to this point. I think that they've shown that obviously they were able to stick it out with the Niners, come back in that game. And then you look at what they did for, like I said, that first half of football against the Packers, they at least have that dog mentality. So you can tell the Dan Campbell's culture is starting to hit with those players. Guys that have chips on their shoulder, like Jared Goff, are at least playing a little bit better. Jared Goff was starting to make a little bit of late mistakes there. Obviously, you know, the fumble late where he just kind of like was holding the ball out to his side. And then the really bad interception with him rolling out to his right. And then Aaron Jones just having a fantasy god day, four touchdowns. So hopefully he was on your fantasy roster and you weren't going against him because that was the type of Monday night comeback that I needed. I was down about 30 points, 35 points in my league. Sure enough, I have Aaron Jones. Absolute still this week. Someone traded me straight up. David Montgomery for Aaron Jones. I didn't offer this. They just said, hey, you want Aaron Jones? I'm like, you're, you're offering me a top five NFL rusher for David Montgomery, who's been kind of, man, I couldn't have said yes fast enough. And sure enough, Monday night, Paid off for me. I am thrilled with how that Monday night game came together. You mentioned the Pac-12. I knew something bad was going to happen when we started all praising Chip Kelly and UCLA. I knew the upset was coming. Fresno State, you talk about dog mentalities. The dogs came out to play. What was about five points or so they beat them by? Like 40 to 35, something along that lines. Good for the Fresno State Bulldogs. Who knows? Maybe they're going to put themselves out there for a Pac-12 bid as we kind of move into this continual conference realignment and reshifting and whatever college football is in its next phase. They've had multiple wins against Pac-12 teams within the last few years. So Fresno State is one of those upset teams that you really don't want on your schedule. So it was a shame for the momentum that UCLA was building in a positive direction there. 
Yeah, and I'm of the opinion that if you lose to Fresno State, you should switch schedules for the rest of the season. So now Fresno should have to play UCLA's schedule and UCLA should have to play Fresno's. Same rule should apply with uh, (laughs) the University of Arizona. If you lose to Northern Arizona University, who is currently 0-2 in Big Sky Conference play outside of the win against Arizona, if you lose that game, you should have to switch schedules with Northern Arizona. San Diego State should switch schedules with Utah, BYU, Arizona State. All those teams need to switch it up in the Pac-12. You mentioned Quintus Cephas, which I just love that name because all of the names of wide receivers on the Lions like sound like fake wide receivers. I'm I think on there's Ross like a Brown. Yeah. Tyra Williams is a pretty normal name. TJ Hawkinson, though, I will give you too. I think there's someone named Tom Kennedy running around there, which sounds like a 1950s wide receiver but theoretically it could be a wide receiver today i just picture someone Um, when you say tom kennedy someone like chain smoking cigars with like a suit in the locker room yes that's what i think of too they have someone named trinity benson khalif raymond they seem like wide receivers they could theoretically be wide receivers but they all seem kind of fake at this point i don't know how the Lions have assembled this roster or where they found these players that I've never heard of. But you're right, out of the 0-2 teams, they probably, other than the Colts, they've probably looked the most impressive so far. Of and they've played the, the toughest teams. opponents out of that kind of like mix of bad teams. I'll tell you, I haven't done my power rankings yet. They're coming soon to the Slump Buster Instagram page here. But I'm going to have some tough decisions here because I don't even really know what I want to do within the top five, top 10. Obviously, I got to give the Raiders some love. I got to get the Cardinals some love. The Seahawks lost on a heartbreaker we'll get into a little bit later. I don't know what the hell to do with even my Niners. I'm like, how good are we? We kind of had a couple iffy games for different reasons. The Packers, they come back this week, but they look bad in the first half. What do I want to do with the Packers? A lot of questions that I'm not sure how to really answer. Uh, You know, one story too that I think that we'll probably get some answers on soon, and I just saw this one come across, but I got to ask the NBA correspondent for the slump buster here. Ben Simmons uh, officially is holding out and not reporting to camp stating this is the last time you will see me with the 76ers has cut them off ghosted them since August Uh, do you think we get some resolution to that story before the end of the week or do you think this is going to be like the Deshaun Watson stuff where it kind of just drags on I think it's probably going to be closer to the James Harden news where they are going to wait until they get the best offer or they're going to wait until the very last possible chance to trade Ben Simmons. But I think probably he won't play again for the 76ers, but I do think he's going to have to sit out into the season to make it happen. The 76ers have no reason to trade him other than for a player better than Ben Simmons at this point. There's no way they can sell short on a player who is, despite his getting clowned all the time on the internet, a top 20 player in the NBA, probably the best defensive guard in the NBA. And my solution would just be put him at the four instead of put him at the one. And I think everything's going to look a little bit better for the 76ers. It's also a story that's just not going to go away because there weren't very many top 20 players that switched teams this offseason. Like Kyle Lowry was the best player who really switched teams. And he's like in that like 20 to 30 range. Like he's kind of an all-star, but he makes Miami like the fourth best team instead of the fifth or sixth best team in the Eastern Conference. So this story's not going away. And since none of these stars are available, I don't think Ben Simmons is going to get moved until things get like ridiculously ugly and the Sixers have to sell short a little bit, or maybe someone's willing to offer three or four first round picks for Ben Simmons. And the Sixers just use that down the road to acquire another superstar. But the Sixers are too good right now to punt on that. I love that the Sixers, (laughs) Ben Simmons says that I don't want to play for the Sixers anymore. And the Sixers are looking at him like, we're trying. We're really (laughs) trying here. There's nothing we can really do about it where no one's willing to offer a Damian Lillard or a Jokic or even like a Jalen Brown for him at this point. So it kind of leaves the Sixers in limbo, especially considering most people think Ben Simmons is a fully formed player at this point. There's maybe a hope that he could become a top 10 player down the road, but most of that hope is kind of fading as he gets into his mid twenties and hasn't 
shown significant improvement since he was 23. So I think most people think this is the best version of Ben Simmons that they're going to get. And therefore they're offering a lot of CJ McCollum's for him, Porzingis and picks. The Kings won't even include De'Aaron Fox in the deal, which I would say it's a good move. If you do, it's a good move. If you don't, the Kings are going to be fine either way. So this is going to play out for months. I have a feeling right now. What's today? September 21st. I'd say this plays out into November at the very least with Ben Simmons. November with a firm holdout. Yeah, no, it's just tough to move Ben Simmons at this point because of the type of enigma he is. And now you have this extra added narrative of what type of character are you getting if you're a team that's trading for him? Obviously, whenever you hear about a player wanting out of a situation, uh, you have to ask yourselves, what are the factors and what are the reasons that this player wants out? What are the reasons that this team would not want him? And then trying to attribute value to that player based off those uh, inclinations is not something that a team or a GM is able to easily answer. Your instinct is you want to offer lower, you want to buy low on a player of that nature. But obviously, if you're the Sixers, you're coming at it from a completely different angle. You're still viewing him off of his potential um, that we've talked about for many years. But as you mentioned, he's starting to get into that latter part of his career and the lack of improvement in the last few years is why that it's such a negative connotation surrounding Ben Simmons. Like so many players have made huge improvements. And I mentioned on a recent podcast not too long ago that I'm starting to give a lot more patience to these young guys. I I was one of the most impatient people when it came to guys like Trey Young, who surprised me this year, or Jason Tatum, or other Zion. Zion, Devin Booker. Guys who had excellent stat lines, but their teams didn't win or something just didn't come together for them. I started giving them a little bit more benefit of the doubt, but it was obvious that the improvement was there with Ben Simmons. He was great as of a few years ago and kind of hasn't gotten much better since and particularly in the areas that people always criticize him for you would think you have one definitive flaw that should be your primary focus and yet that area has heck even got it worse I mean the free throws from last year for NBA player to have I think it was something in the a 30 percent free throw shooting percentage in that series uh, against the uh, who they lose to last year the 76 oh, it was Atlanta Atlanta and- yeah what was that? Yeah, thirty percent. So if I'm not, I think right, it was twenty-seven percent. Oh, great! I so I was, <laughs> I was going higher. I was giving him a little bit more of a boost, but coming in with the real facts. But either way, that is putrid. And like you said, it, it could drag. It could get pretty ugly here. Uh, I don't think it helps also being in a market like Philadelphia, where there's a lot of pressure on both the player and the team, and uh, tempers will really be high. Who do you think is most at fault here, Simmons? Doc Rivers, Joel Embiid for their comments, or the 76ers organization as a whole? I don't know if it's anyone's fault here specifically. I I talked about this um, when the series ended last year, because I'm glad you mentioned the Hawks series, because that's the thing that's like recency bias. It's the last thing we remember was Ben Simmons passing up a wide open dunk because he didn't want to shoot the ball or go to the free throw line, like, and having zero points in the fourth quarter of game four, five, six, and seven of the end of that series. It's, it's the thing we remember most recently for Ben Simmons and had Philadelphia not blown in game four in Atlanta, if they had not blown a 24 point lead in the fourth quarter and blown a 19 point lead in the fourth quarter against Atlanta in games five, I want to say. So games four and five, they had a 99% chance of winning and an 87% chance of winning those games, which if you add those two together means 789 chance that the 76ers don't win that series against the Atlanta Hawks. So I'd say that the reality of this is just a ridiculous fluke that led to the Sixers underperforming against the Hawks team. They were better than on paper. They played better than in the series. They should have won that series probably in five games and it dragged out to seven and the Hawks stole the last game from them. And so more than anyone's blame, I think it's just a crazy fluke that the Sixers underperformed last year. And we've seen the hype videos of Ben Simmons hitting three-pointer after three-pointer. Like, it's it's just a mental thing for Ben Simmons. So I think mental coaching is more important than anything else for Ben Simmons. Not that he's ever going to be a great shooter. Like, that's totally implausible that Ben Simmons will be a great shooter. It's just that he won't be a historically bad shooter or 
even worse, not a shooter at all because he's just petrified to shoot the basketball or petrified to go to the free throw line, which is technically the best defense for the other team because all of a sudden on offense, you're playing five against four for the 76ers if you've taken Ben Simmons out of the game entirely on offense. So to answer your question, I don't, I don't have anyone specifically who deserves the most of the blame. It's just a weird fluky situation that the Sixers lost last year and everyone points to Ben Simmons and say, it's your fault. So maybe the organization could support him a little bit more. It's kind of funny that the 76ers organization has had two of the most broken shots in recent history between Mark Alfolds and Ben Simmons. Uh, something's in the water out there that just messing with people's jump shots and their mental health, I guess, in terms of their ability to shoot. Where would be your favorite landing spot for Ben Simmons? What do you think is the most mutually beneficial for both the 76ers and Ben Simmons himself? Well, Portland's the one that makes the most sense because if Damian Lillard goes to the 76ers, they're immediately a title contender, like right there with Brooklyn and right there with the Los Angeles Lakers. If you get Ben Simmons and Tyrese Maxey, which is a hilarious situation as well, because they're both represented by Rich Paul and apparently Tyrese Maxey wants out of Philadelphia as well. But because everyone's talking about Ben Simmons, nobody's talking about eighth guy on the bench, Tyrese Maxey for the Sixers. I'll be honest. I didn't even know Tyrese Maxey was a name in the NBA. Speaking it's, of it's like totally fake names, fair. you could tell me he was a Lions receiver and I might've believed it. <laughs> What a great callback. That is a great callback. Yes, Tyrese Maxey plays wide receiver for the Lions, but he wants a trade as well. I'm about that direction, about 15 minutes is uh, the Sacramento Kings arena. So Sacramento makes sense. I guess they would have to give up De'Aaron Fox, right? Because De'Aaron Fox is the only player who could at one point be as good as Ben Simmons, but they're not ready to win now. So it's not a perfect fit what's weird is that you know that the traditional places that we say when a player comes available los angeles new york miami i don't know who else would be good i guess brooklyn's good right now philadelphia obviously has him but all those places have their superstars so we've got like some weird names being thrown out like minnesota is interested cleveland is interested charlotte like it's weird places that normally wouldn't be in the running for a ben simmons type of player so other than damian lillard i can't think of a player better than ben simmons who would leave anytime soon other than maybe bradley beal but i don't like trading ben simmons for Bradley Beal. I don't think that does enough to make the 76ers a title contender and enough for Washington to justify trading the best trade chip they're going to have across the next decade, possibly. And like you said, that Damian Lillard trade would be make the most sense, but pretty sure that Portland doesn't want to move off of him. Obviously, he's their franchise player. He's on all the merchandise. And I think Chauncey Billups, when he first took that job, was like, I, I want Damian Lillard here. I want a chance to, I don't know if he could really say compete. I don't know what the Portland Trailblazers like, status will be in the West moving you know, to the next fifth, year. Fifth, sixth seed in the West. That's kind of where they've hung for the past couple of years. But also, Damian Lillard doesn't want to leave Portland yet. He was surprisingly honest this offseason where he's like, of course I'm frustrated. I scored 17 straight points in a game five in the playoffs and we still lost like just because CJ McCollum stepped on the line at the end. So he's voiced like, of course I'm unhappy. I'd like to win, but not unhappy enough that I want to blow everything I have in Portland. It's not that bad yet. They finally fired the coach. Fun part about that, Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, and Terry Stotts, who used to be the coach, who looks like a member of the British Parliament, they were together for eight years before this. And the GM's been there for six years. So it's been the same group of people at the top of the Blazers organization for six to eight years. And now they finally moved on from Terry Stotts. Probably two years too late, but they still moved on. Eventually, they're finally trying to move with a sense of urgency, knowing that either Damian Lillard's prime is closing or Damian Lillard, you know, could potentially leap. But he says he's not unhappy enough that he wants to blow everything up in Portland yet. So again, the, the Sixers could just keep waiting and hang on to Ben Simmons. But if Ben Simmons is dead set on not playing for them, then boy, that's going to get ugly once it gets into the season, similar to what happened with the Rockets back in, well, I guess that was just last year. It was like December and January of last year. Things got real bad and it got to a point where PJ Tucker went to the press conference and basically announced he was going to fight James Arden at practice tomorrow. And then the next day he was traded to Brooklyn. Yeah, I remember that vividly, mostly because was actually in Houston to watch that last game of James Harden there. 
So Ben Simmons, you have two options here. One, you could get extremely fat. Or two, <laughs> you could hire 42 masseuses. The choice is yours. No, okay. No, <laughs> let's not do that. No, let's not. It's a high uh, number there. It's a lot of masseuses, man. But either way, inactive already for week three. That's another story. Mm-hmm. Tyrod Taylor's out and still inactive. Rookie Davis Mills getting his first chance to start representing Stanford. Yes. Shine in game one there, Thursday night. <laughs> yes, David Shaw's four and eight Stanford Cardinals who just beat, I think, who did they play this week? They beat USC a week ago and then they won again. So Stanford, thanks to everyone losing in the Pac-12, Stanford might be the second best team in the conference now because, you know, everyone's taking L's in the Pac-12 at this point. Yeah, it was just, like you mentioned, a very rough week for the Pac-12, but not as rough as our week in our pick'em. Week two, one and four for both of us. The only games we got right were the ones in which we went against each other. You with the Cowboys over the Chargers in LA. Me with the touchdown underdog Titans going into Seattle to beat them in their home opener the first time in, I think, about a decade, maybe even a little bit more that the Seahawks have lost their home opener. It would have looked cooler if it was next to a winning record on my part there had I got that upset pick. But we can rebound. We can fix this thing. They're so long season here. We're talking ourselves like we're the Jacksonville Jaguars. We still got a long road ahead. I don't know if we have the upside of Trevor Lawrence, but we can try our speaking, best. Speaking of the Jacksonville Jaguars, did you see that photo of Trevor Lawrence and Teddy Bridgewater after the game shaking hands? And in the background of the photo is the Jaguars mascot, which looks like he's jumping off the top of the building, which <laughs> I don't know what he was doing. I'm guessing it was some sort of stunt, but it looks like he's jumping off the third deck of the Jaguars bars stand like oh that was one of my favorite moments of the weekend was finding out that was a thing that existed and urban meyer's tweet that was really needed like someone to spell check him or check his grammarly or something like that like it was a weird weekend for the jaguars I think that that was basically their alternate reality version of what the Panthers did from the week prior, except it's just their Jaguars just like jumping off the top of the nearest building. That's that's probably the best that they can muster. As far as Urban Meyer's tweet, I felt that, okay, I got the message there, at least. It, like you mentioned, I, I didn't really read through the grammar or the punctuation and everything going on there. At least he didn't like send out confefe or something along those lines. So mm-hmm. it could always be worse. The Jaguars through two weeks, they hung around a little bit against the Broncos. They hung around for a little bit. They still have a lot of work to do, obviously, on that roster. Vista Chenault some missed time. DJ Chark, uh, one reception, I believe, this week. So a rough week if you start in fantasy. As far as the narrative of Urban Meyer being one and done, to be honest, maybe this is just kind of like how I feel about it. I feel like so many people came into the season wanting Urban Meyer to fail. That's what I kind of like got the sense of from a lot of NFL media, a lot of NFL meme pages heading in. Maybe... I enjoyed the Florida teams during the late 2000s there, certainly the Ohio State teams, other than the fact they beat up on Jim Harbaugh, who I'm fond of. But I felt like so often coming in, like the narrative on Urban Meyer was very negative from the get-go. And obviously with a bad roster and a bad team and a USC open coaching position, it hasn't gotten much better through two weeks. Do you think that Urban Meyer is going to be a one-and-done head coach? I don't know whether he's going to be a one and done head coach. I think that it it depends how much patience the cons have with the development of Trevor Lawrence. I think Daryl Bevel is going to be a one and done offensive coordinator that I feel pretty confident in, even if urban's going to stay, but urban Meyer's just generally disliked. Like I think you mentioned the Florida teams and I can't wait till they make the 30 for 30 about that team because they had, you know, the 41 arrests during his four years at Florida People unfairly connect it to him recruiting Aaron Hernandez, which is funny on the surface, but again, it's not actually anything to do with Urban Meyer. And of course, there's the way he left at Ohio State around the Zach Smith story and the cover up of spousal abuse and Ohio State trying to fire him, but they couldn't really. So they compromised on a walking away where he said during the press conference at his final Rose Bowl that uh, he would probably never coach again. And we all knew that he was going to coach again. And now here he is on the Jaguars two years later. So Urban Meyer's generally 
generally disliked. And so I think that Tebow did come in wanting him to fail. Maybe I wanted him to fail in the back of my mind because I don't like him, but I didn't think it would be as bad as this. Like we talked about how the Lions might be the best team who's 0-2 so far. Jaguars might be the worst team that's 0-2 so far. And if it's not, it's the Falcons and it's the Jets, who, by the way, were the three worst teams in the NFL last year as well. So I don't know what to do with the Jaguars at this point, other than just laugh at it because the Jaguars do funny stuff like have mascots jumping off buildings and weird press releases. And uh, also, I believe the Jaguars have now lost 17 consecutive games, which ties them for the second longest losing streak this decade with the second Browns losing streak after during that one in 31 stretch. They lost 17 in a row, won one against the Chargers and lost 19 in a row before that. So they're tied with two Browns streaks now, two Cleveland Browns losing streaks during the 2010s with 17 in a row for the Jags. Oh God, that brings me back. Uh, If you want to ever know pain, try riding for a team, a college team on an 18-game losing streak, my alma mater, the New Mexico State Aggies. I will say, when they finally did break that losing streak, it was one of the most historic games that no one showed up for. It was the most empty stadium I was looking at from the press box. There's maybe five people. I think it was Halloween. So of course, you know, the students were out there having a good time. Uh, well, we were all freezing watching them beat the Idaho Vandals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, New Mexico State is like the Kansas football of of the, uh, what conference are you guys in now? Conference USA? Independent. We're oh, independent. you guys are independent now? Yeah, oh. we're independently bad. Yeah, you guys are you guys are right on that level with Kansas football. I used to make the joke about you guys in San Jose State, but San Jose State's actually good now. So it's a shame uh, there's no relegation in college football because if so, we would probably be behind uh, North Dakota State at this point. Alabama of the FCS, North Dakota. State. All of the Dakotas are good, man. All the Dakota teams are really good at this point. South Dakota, South Dakota State, UND is actually pretty good now. Don't mess with the Dakotas. I like my relegation strategy though. Of you you have to switch schedules with the team that beats you if you lose to a team that's in a tier below you. So uh, then we could get like five Mountain West schools into the Pac-12. Yeah, I think I saw you tweet out something that the Pac-12 may be below the Mountain West now. I know that Boise State did lose a tough game to Oklahoma State and has had their worst start in close to about two decades. Uh, So it'd be nice to see Boise bounce back. It's still impressive that long after Chris Peterson, 2007, 2008, the uh, Fiesta Bowl against Oklahoma, that Boise State is still doing very well and being able to recruit top prospects and people to go out there. Then again, I hear Boise is just one of those popular moving locations in general. Certainly a lot of California and the mass exodus. People talk Austin, people talk Nevada, people talk Boise. Something I can say outside of uh, the sports world is that a lot of Boise State University will give in-state tuition to California kids because they want to take advantage of that pool of kids to come to their school. So uh, a lot of people I went to high school with go to Boise State for that reason. And so Boise, we knew they were going to be down this year a bit, like not like terrible because their coach just left to take the Auburn head coaching job last offseason. So they had a new coach. Transfer portal era means a bunch of players can transfer. It's why Arizona lost to Northern Arizona this week is because they were terrible last year and then all those terrible players transferred. So they filled it with basically FCS players. And same thing's happening over at Florida State now where they were terrible with Taggart. Norville came in and all of those terrible players transferred. So they had to fill the ranks with like three-star recruits across the the board. If you want a great FSU Florida State breakdown, check out two of Kyle's most recent episodes on Take It Easy as he talks about in depth the downfall and decline of Florida State football. But we got to get into some of these picks, man. We got we don't want to make this a two hour podcast. We want to be courteous of the listeners' time here. Which game should we start with? I'll let you decide. We don't need to go morning. We don't need to go afternoon. They're all great games this week that we chose here. So where do you want to start off? Well, you mentioned the Seahawks losing their home opener this week and the Seahawks, you know, I've joked for a while that the Cowboys have basically been the same team for four years now. I do it in college all the time that Wake Forest has been the same team for 15 years or Oklahoma State's been the same team for 30 years. But the Seahawks, sometimes they just look dominant against teams and sometimes they just play these weird games against the Titans or against the Giants or the Bengals. To their credit, they looked both in that game. Yes. 
and then sometimes they go on the road and they put up 35 points and it's like they're up 21 in the first part of the red zone and you're like okay I don't have to care about this game anymore Seahawks have that one won usually happens in like Atlanta usually dome stadiums usually they're doing it in dome stadiums as well for some reason but let's talk about them against Minnesota because this is a fun game because Minnesota's offense is really good and their defense is really poor and Seattle's offense is really strong and their defense is not as good as their offense. So this could be one of those games that has a 30-30 uh, type of score in there. I think this could be a fun game. Last year was really fun because it was that game where Russell Wilson led like a minute 30 drive to beat Minnesota on Sunday night football. The year before that, they played on Monday night football. The Seahawks and the Vikings always have fun games, even if this is a uh, a weaker Vikings team than in years past. They always have fun games, but a notable stat coming into it is Russell Wilson is undefeated in his career against the Vikings. A 7-0 record against them, some notable wins. You could go back to Blair Walsh, which is a name that echoes to this day as Greg Joseph also mixed a game-winning field goal this past weekend. Both teams lost in soul-crushing fashion this past weekend, whether it's the Seahawks losing in overtime or it's the Vikings losing on a missed kick at the end of the game. For the Vikings, that's back-to-back weeks in which a kicker did them in as Cincinnati also beat them on a walk-off field goal the previous week. So the Vikings are staring down the gun barrel of 0-4 as their schedule kind of heads into the next few weeks. 0-2, they're heading into this game. They are the underdog by a point and a half, and they face the Browns next week. So this is a must-win game for them, absolutely. You mentioned the Vikings defense has been porous. You want to know how bad it's been? Rashad Breeland is the 110th-ranked quarterback out of 110 according to PFF. So clearly that is an opportunity for a elite Seahawks passing attack that loves the deep ball to take advantage. I mean, AJ Green was able to be on Brashard Breland this past week. DK Metcalf is coming in a little gimpy. He had a little bit of injury apparently bumped his knee is what Pete Carroll said if he's healthy on the field between him and Lockett I don't see how the Vikings are able to contain the top two wide receivers on this team offensively for the Vikings another important thing for them is Dalvin Cook's health I know he was at in and out of the game a couple times in week one Tennessee Titans gave you the blueprint on how to beat the Seattle Seahawks run the ball down their throat I know it started off early with Derrick Henry being stuffed through the first half so much so that maybe we had a little bit of a premature tweet there not not throwing any shade here kyle but okay do we want to talk premature. about this do we <laughs> want to talk about how i said that uh derrick henry rushed for 250 yards to get to 2k and then dipped i literally wrote down the stat in my journal here derrick henry after getting 2,000 yards took the ball in the next two games the playoff game against the ravens and the first game of the season against uh the cardinals he took the ball 35 times for 98 yards that is just under three yards per carry and he was on pace to do that again in the first half against the Seahawks I put out a tweet and then after that he had 180 yards of offense and three touchdowns in the second half of that game I'd like to think that somewhere some way there was someone on the sidelines that was connected to social media that showed Derrick Henry your tweet and was like Man, fuck those slump buster guys. We're going to rock it this weekend. Three touchdowns. And hey, you have him in fantasy football, so it's not a complete loss there. And obviously, that was my one win of the weekend. The Titans going over on the Seahawks. So definitely a win there. But who is going to win this Sunday? Vikings, Seattle. It is Minnesota's home opener. So you know the Skull crowd is going to be loud. This might be my upset pick. I don't think the Vikings will fall to 0-3 because it's going to set up a very rough season for them moving forward if they do. Uh, hopefully, Everson Griffin suits up for them this weekend as it's very important that you do apply some sort of pass rush to the Seahawks, who I believe also had an offensive lineman go down too. So already bad offensive line may be worse this weekend. Uh, yeah, Vikings at home, home opener against the Seahawks. I'm going with it. Last week, I did pick Seattle, and you were right on picking the Titans. Even straight up, you got the win. You were going to cover the spread no matter what, but you ended up walking away with the win there. I am back on the Seattle hype train this week. I, I like the Seahawks to win this week. Second time in a row, I'm rolling with Seattle, but 
the thing that's interesting about the Vikings is that I we don't think they're going to make the playoffs this year. They could make the playoffs, but it's a bit of a long shot for Minnesota because of how many teams there are in the middle of the NFC this year, whether it's Arizona, who they obviously should have beat last weekend, if not for a missed kick, New Orleans, Carolina, whatever's going on in the NFC East right now, which we'll get to that a little later too. Obviously, the Rams and the Seahawks are both locks to make the playoffs. So it might be tough for Minnesota, but if they do start 0-4 and and if they start going down further, this could be one of those mutually agreed apart ways situations with them and Mike Zimmer because Mike Zimmer after this year has one year left on his contract, which basically means this is a decision year for the Vikings, not of whether Zimmer's a great coach or not. if, If Zimmer were to leave, he would immediately get another job somewhere else. It's more a matter of do we want Mike Zimmer to be our coach for the next five years or do we need a new voice in the locker room? So if this does go the way I think it does, I think we can start to to listen a little more intently on the what is Mike Zimmer's future of the with the Vikings and what is Kirk Cousins' future with the Vikings because he'll be their quarterback next year, but after that they can start to move on from Kirk Cousins and I think they've set up the contract so that he only has like a three million dollar buyout after 2022. Yeah, I know it's a more cordial relationship than this one I'm going to mention, but last season the Houston Texans start 0 and 4 and eventually fired Bill O'Brien. If the Vikings start 0 and 4, do we start to hear rumblings on a Mike Zimmer? I think if they start like 2 and 7, I think that they might pull the plug around like Thanksgiving, which would be a disappointment for them. But I think it's not too far of a disappointment because like you said, they have <laughs> the Bengals ones, obviously tough. They probably should have won that game, but it was a trendy pick that week to take Cincy should have lost to the Cardinals coming in, but they should have won the game out right there. Missed kick loses the game in a dome, tough break. Um, and then obviously you said they play Seahawks and Cleveland, which are two tough opponents. So if they fall to like two and seven, I think they could pull the plug on Mike Zimmer. Not again, not because Mike Zimmer's a bad coach, but just because he's been there nine years and they're in a weird transition period right now. There is a big development in the NFC North this weekend as we have the debut, the first official start of Justin Fields. And this was a game we were going back and forth on if this was going to be a game on our slate to mention. The Bears open at plus seven and a half against the Browns. Andy Dalton is definitely going to miss this game. He has a bone bruise. That's probably going to keep him out multiple weeks. So Justin Fields, it's your time to shine. He didn't look great last week in filling in for Andy Dalton. Uh, The Browns, we know how good that defense is. We know that this is going to be a home game for them. Some notable Brown storylines. Jarvis Landry is hurt, uh, MCL sprain, but OBJ might be back. Uh, Well, at least it's seeming like he's back because The Browns didn't place him on the short-term IR, uh, knowing that he should be back for week three. He posted a hype video on his YouTube channel. By all indications, he should be out there. I think one thing that's going to be tough for the Browns is without Jarvis Landry there, that secure pass catcher and an OBJ coming off of injury, I think this Bears defense can give them a little bit more problems and make things tough for Baker Mayfield. They did have three interceptions in the game last week against Joe Burrow and Cincinnati Bengals. Jalen Johnson is starting to look like a lockdown corner for them. And against Houston, that wasn't a runaway game like it should have been for the Browns. They had multiple catches of over 20 yards. So this defense does allow the occasional big play. With the points, the Bears at seven and a half, I don't think is that crazy. Overall for the game, I will take the Browns just because a rookie quarterback in his first start on the road, not a great environment. And I don't think that Matt Nagy could get creative enough for the play calling to make this work. So I'm going to take the Browns, but the Bears with the points does intrigue me. What's interesting about the Browns offense this year is that they can do this like swapping between like one week it's Odell and one week it's Jarvis playing and still be fine because their offense is probably the least reliant on wide receivers of any in the NFL. One, they run two back sets a lot, which they have the personnel to do it. So Stefanski can do it more than he, you know, other teams would where you line Kareem Hunt in the slot or Nick Chubb can have limited carries. I think he's only touched the ball 11 times in the tax game I think I think he had 11 carries against the Texans so if you want to limit Nick Chubb that way it's one way to go about it you're going to anger some fantasy football people but even without Jarvis Landry if you get back Odell Beckham it's good enough 
Their offense should be good enough. They run two tight end sets a lot. Cleveland kind of wowed us in that first half against the Chiefs. And then after that, they've kind of just been the Browns, like the team that we thought they were going to be coming into the season. At least most of us thought, you know, wild card team, five, six seed. Baltimore is going to be a little more flashy. Maybe they'll split a season series against them. But Cleveland's look kind of like the team they were last year outside of those like two quarters against the Chiefs where their offense clicked all together. I, I didn't think we'd talk so much about the Bengals this week, but the Bears did great against the, the Bengals offense last week. I know Jamar Chase had that one big touchdown against the retooled Bears secondary, which is mostly just replacing Kyle Fuller with Jalen Johnson, like you said, and they looked really good. I never realized how, like, Roquan Smith is fast. I never realized that until he was running back that pick six. I'm like, oh my a- lord. He was a dream for me on his draft day for the Niners. I was like, you know, Roquan Smith would be pretty nice. And he hasn't disappointed in the NFL. I think he's among that elite tier of linebackers when we're talking about top 10 linebackers, maybe even top five. It does get a little bit competitive once you start getting into that range. Yeah, I I just I've never paid close enough attention to Roquan Smith. Like outside of that, they've kind of been the same version of themselves. Like Khalil Mack's going to be really good. Roquan's going to be the other guy on the edge. Hicks in the middle is going to be a borderline hall of famer that no one talks about and then you're going to have some names in the secondary eddie jackson's going to be a a pretty good safety so they've kind of been in that like seven eight range ever since but i've never paid close enough attention until seeing him run back a pick six to realize oh roquan smith is really good at linebacker to your point i will take cleveland i actually feel really good about cleveland covering the point spread and that's not to disrespect justin fields like it's just similar situation what happened with the Rams in week one you're going up against one of the better defensive units in the NFL they've got a lockdown corner maybe not as locked down as Jalen Ramsey but Denzel Ward is really really good at cornerback Miles Garrett Jadavian Clowney obviously pass rushing similar to the Aaron Donald Leonard Floyd tandem of the Los Angeles Rams I think Leonard Floyd is the second best guy there so I like Cleveland to win and probably by two touchdowns Um, I think you said the point spread was seven and a half. So I actually like Cleveland and the points in this game, which doesn't necessarily mean Justin Fields is going to play bad. It just means that Cleveland is going to play very well in this game. I think a good key for the Bears to win this game or be competitive in this game is to implement a lot of the stuff that we've seen in recent years from quarterbacks with Justin Fields' skill set, that mobile run option, because with a team with a prolific pass rush like the Browns have, that could cause a lot of problems on the outside for someone like a Miles Garrett who has to decide to take the back or take out Justin Fields. I think that that would give them at least an opportunity to win this game. Uh, We'll see if they can compete. For this next game on our list here, I'm going to let you decide which direction we go because we have some really good ones here. We have Monday Night Football, the Eagles, Cowboys. We have Sunday Night Football, the Niners, Packers. And then we have America's Game of the Week, the Rams and the Buccaneers. Which game do you want to talk about next, Kyle? Whew, this is a good one. So I would go, let's talk about the Rams and the Bucks because I, I was really excited to talk about this game coming in. And I didn't want to do it first because it's, I think, the best game of the week. I, I know your 49ers are on Sunday Night Football this week, but uh, this is one of those games where it feels like we're going to see this matchup again in, in January or even February, considering that the championship weekend is now in February this year. That's something we have to adjust to. So the Rams going in are, I believe slight underdogs, but it's basically a pick them in this game. And they did push it to even actually, I was looking at the betting line today. So it is a full on push at this point. So yeah, pick them. Yeah. To pick them, which I guess means the bucks are slightly favored. And that seems about fair. Like if you're going to talk about like pure superstar talent in the NFL, like just across the board, top five at their position, these two teams might be like the, the best matchup of stars. You're going to find Kansas city's probably right there too, but these two teams just have stars across the board and I think this is why the NFL plays them early in the season because you want to make sure everyone's playing in this game so you can watch Aaron Donald Jalen Ramsey go up against Donovan Smith Tom Brady all of the wide receivers there I think all the receivers qualify as uh, great superstar type talents it's 2021 and Rob Gronkowski leads the NFL in touchdowns right now and that will never stop being ridiculous to say out loud Tampa Bay got that scare in the first game and 
the defense, I mean, Tom Brady threw five touchdowns against the Falcons, but the defense kind of put that game way out of reach against the Falcons. So if you see the 21 point victory, it's a little misleading. Tampa has pretty much been hitting on all cylinders. I know you picked Tom Brady to win MVP this year and feeling good about two that. Weeks, <laughs> he's the MVP. Yeah, nine touchdowns, definitely on pace to break that all-time quarterback passing touchdown record. And the fact that he's just such a consistent performer uh, has me feeling very strong about that. However, the Rams are just going to be a challenge. Obviously, we know how good that defense is. They did allow points to Indy late. They did allow Indy to kind of climb back up in that game, really make it a tough little, what was it, 27-24 was that final outcome. Mm -hmm. But against the Bears, obviously, they were elite they were came out to play so hard to read on what Rams defense were getting past those top two guys Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald it does start to get a little bit weak so they are going to get challenged here in the sense that obviously they're facing one of the best offenses in football fun fact this is Tom Brady's first ever game in Los Angeles so (laughs) you know for Chargers fans who were disappointed that he may have been passed on well you get to see him in SoFi Stadium officially this weekend uh Stafford also coming in this game big game for him because a fun Stafford fact he has a sub 200 winning percentage against teams that finish with a winning record obviously the Bucks are going to be one of those teams that finish with a winning record by season's end so this is a big opportunity for Stafford to really show that he's not Detroit Lions Matthew Stafford this is Los Angeles Rams Matthew Stafford cool, calm, collective, big arm, big plays, hitting Cooper Cup 11 times, 20 times, whatever it takes to win the game. Matthew Stafford, is he up for the challenge to go one-on-one with the great one, Tom Brady? I'm going to say no because I am picking the Bucks in week three. So one of the things that was most fascinating about the Rams first two games, other than like just watching a Rams quarterback throw the deep ball is the threat of being able to spread the field made life so much easier for Daryl Henderson and congratulations to everyone who drafted Daryl Henderson on their fantasy team. This hold up there on Daryl Henderson, though, he's coming into this game with a rib injury. So maybe Sony Michelle time out there in L.A. This is changing my analysis slightly because it's not like the Jets where you can just run on it. You can put any running back in there. They're going to whoop up on them. The, the Bucks do have a pretty good rush defense. Obviously, the playoffs last year, remember Aaron Jones got hurt in that NFC championship. And after that, they had no running game at all to execute. Zeke Elliott disappeared. And it wasn't quite that Zeke's totally washed. It's just that, you know, the, the Bucks also have a pretty good defense. Now, for this pick, I have the Rams winning but the thing about this is that this is the 2012 Rams Rams helmet I have in my collection so I think they've changed the helmet three times since they had this logo I think they went to the white horns then they went to the yellow horns and now they have a totally different logo with the LA thing on it so So you're saying if the Rams win this weekend it doesn't really count because you picked the St. Louis Rams gotcha man okay that's good to know for the (laughs) pick'em yeah just holding out hope this is this is all I had to work with is from April of 2012 Rams logo. So they've changed, I think, three times since then. But I do like the Rams to win this weekend uh, straight up. I, I think it was a pick em, like you said. Whatever points, I'll take it. I, I think the Rams will win the game against the Buccaneers. The funny part is when this game initially opened, they were actually giving points to Brady. Uh, it was about one and a half, I think, is the maximum it got. Like we're talking about, it moved back down to even line here. If it changes a little bit, I would doubt it because these teams are the top two teams currently. I mentioned earlier, I don't know much about my power rankings heading into this recording, but what I can tell you is the Bucks and Rams are going to be one, two accordingly. Next game up on our slate here, I am going to say, let's actually go with my Niners versus the Packers because I'll end it on a less biased note here. Uh, <laughs> the Niners are opening up as, I believe I saw three and a half point favorites against the Packers, which surprised me because I thought the Packers would get a little bit more love. But I think people are starting to look at this Packers team after their big blowout loss against the Saints in week one and not being able to immediately go in and put away Detroit as a evidence that this Packers team may be a little suspect. There may be a little bit more behind the curtain as this team faces better teams moving forward. The Niners though, this is not an ideal week to have the majority of your backfield just banged up and beat up on. 
because the Niners, what they've done well in these recent matchups against the Packers was move the football on the ground. Uh, Elijah Mitchell only had about 2.9 yards per carry against the Philadelphia Eagles. And the Eagles, I will say, have a better defense than I thought they did. Certainly their defensive line. But Elijah Mitchell, he's day-to-day with shoulder injury, Jamichael Hasty, high ankle sprain, Trey Sermon, concussion. At this point, they signed Jaquiz Patrick off the Cincinnati Bengals practice squad. They brought in Lamar Miller for a workout, Duke Johnson for a workout, TJ Yeldon for a workout. The Niners' backfield is really filling it. So the pathway for the Niners to win this game is for Jimmy Garoppolo to have his best game of the season. And I think it's possible because the fact that Jared Goff was able to beat the Packers second the fact that Jameis Winston was able to beat the Packers secondary does tell me that is the key to this victory. The secondary of the Packers is not that good. Debo Samuel has been the leading pass catcher for the Niners early on in the season with limited work, about only two targets, three targets for Brandon Ayuk for the entire season. George Kittle has less than 10 targets for the entire season. I think that's going to change because the Packers can be beat with a good tight end. Certainly a great tight end in George Kittle. It's going to be a little bit homery here, but I got to go with my boys. I'm going with the Niners <laughs> to beat the Packers in our home opener. You got old faithful rolling into a primetime game and get forever faithful, man. <laughs> yeah. Good job for your uh, trying to avoid being a homer towards the end of the podcast, but it was a good analysis. All your points are fair. The good news for the 49ers, of course, is that there's so many like late 20s running backs that are available in free agency. You just mentioned three of them off the bat that I'd totally forgotten about in Duke Johnson, Lamar Miller, TJ Yeldon. I'm just wondering when we're going to finally give Todd Gurley a call, which Todd Gurley, I want to say, is younger than me. Which Todd Gurley is 27 years old right now. Exactly. I'm 27. Todd Gurley is 27. And I think we have maybe one good knee between the both of us. So I think that that's pretty on par. At this point, I'm actually hoping that they call the old guy, Frank Gore, and give him a call because at least he stays healthy. That was a weird story that Frank Gore is turning down offers because he wants to become a boxer. And like in six months, we're going to watch him fighting against like Jake Paul or something like that. But or maybe he'll fight. Who is the person who got knocked out? Nate Robinson. I don't know. Famous people fighting is fun. Chad Ochocinco. That would be a fun one because I know Chad has put on on some gloves recently. I know that used to be Frank's training method when he was with the Niners, but that's neither here nor there. He's not on the field Sunday. Who is Aaron Rodgers, Jimmy Garoppolo, the Niners, the Packers, Kyle, who's your pick? Green Bay. I like the Packers to win on Sunday on primetime. I, I think the Packers have, have never had cap space across the last few years. And so they've never been able to address their biggest problem, which is just for three years, they just can't stop the run. The Packers will not be able to stop the run. Fortunately for them, people love Kyle Shanahan's schemes because he just takes random dudes and makes them hundred yard rushers. But you really have to believe in that scheme to think that they're going to be able to run the ball effectively against the Green Bay Packers on Sunday because like you said they've got pretty much no one left in that running back group um so Baltimore hold my beer (laughs) (laughs) Baltimore reassembling the 2015 Pro Bowl team with uh Latavius Murray Le'Veon Bell Devonta Freeman too but I like the Packers to win mostly because the Packers can generate points I know the 49ers defense is pretty good. They don't have Jason Verrett anymore, which is obviously a huge loss to them because they were counting on him for a lot of the Richard Sherman production this year. And obviously the secondary has been the thing forever for that we say the 49ers struggle with. And Sam Ebukam certainly helped as a pickup. I don't know if that's going to be like an impact type of player, but he's there at least to help, you know, soften the blow in the linebacking core and sometimes dropping back in coverage. But the Packers can score points. We saw it. Aaron Jones was the guy on Monday who I'd pretty much just forgotten about Aaron Jones in all the last dance stuff. I was like, oh yeah, it's about Rogers and Adams and Tunyon's going to leave. And is Bakhtiari going to come back i just forgot they have a you know top seven running back in the maybe NFL. it's because aaron jones was the one of them that actually signed a new deal and contract extension to stay in green bay past wherever aaron Rodgers and Devonte adams end up well also because just for like a month i had assumed he was going to be a dolphin the dolphins offered him more money and he decided to go not that much more but he decided to go back to the packers for a year less and for about a million less a year and so i had just assumed he was going to be gone and that was the whole reason they drafted aj Dillon in the first 
first place. But even with Aaron Jones, it only adds to the fact they can score points really easily. So I am taking Green Bay. I forgot what you said the point spread was. I think 49ers are favored right now. But three and a half was the last time I saw this line, which again surprised me. But I think it's people giving credence to what happened very early on for the Packers through the first two weeks. Mm hmm. That, that is perfectly fair. And obviously we're recording this after the Packers played the Monday night game where apparently Jared Goff did something really good against their defense. I didn't watch it, but apparently something good happened. But I do like the Packers to win, cover the spread. I thought this was going to be the the time they switched to Trey Lance, but the fact that the 49ers are 2-0 and makes it that uh, they don't need to make that pivot yet. So I guess we're getting Jimmy Garoppolo on Sunday night football. As long as Jimmy Garoppolo continues to win and Jimmy Garoppolo's best asset is that he wins, the Niners shouldn't make that change. That is my thoughts there. And I will continue to believe that as long as the winning record remains. Moving into the Monday night game, let's talk about the NFC lease. The Cowboys open up as four-point favorites at home against the Eagles. Shout out to a former guest on this show, Stephen Michael Puga, stand-up comedian. Go check him out as he will be live in attendance at this game. I think one of the big things, obviously, fresh in my mind as my Niners played this Eagles team is that offensive line, defensive line, this team is tough. And I think their defense is a lot better than people give them credit for. And, you know, one thing that I mentioned last week, it's funny because literally this streak got snapped was that the Cowboys hadn't won a game in which they scored less than 30 points since 2018. Well, that changed against the Chargers. They were able to do some great work on Justin Herbert, which Justin Herbert through two weeks is starting to look a little suspect here. Uh, Expected him to struggle against Washington. Did not expect him to struggle against the Cowboys defense. It was down to Marcus Lawrence and Randy Gregory. Gregory should be back this week. The Eagles had a huge hit on their team, though. Brandon Graham, torn Achilles. Uh, I've heard Eagles fans refer to him as the heartbeat of this team. And I could tell it when Brandon Graham went out in that Niners game, that's when things started to turn around for the Niners. Through the first few drives, Brandon Graham was the main disruptor in the middle, getting to the run game making things difficult for Jimmy Garoppolo, breaking up screens. And as soon as he's out, that's when the Niners really started to take over that game. With that loss there, some questionable play calling from Nick Sirianni, trying to run Philly special 2.0. I think the Cowboys are going to win this game. They are going to be 2-1, and and they might be leading the NFC East after this weekend. Uh, you know how we were talking earlier about how the Lions were the best worst team in the NFL, the best bad team in the NFL. I was about to say the Eagles when we were talking about that. And then I realized I don't know if the Eagles are a bad team anymore. I thought the Eagles would come out, set up Jalen Hurts to fail, and he would look, you know, like 80 QBR. He'd look like Gardner Minshew, basically. That's what I thought was going to happen for the Eagles. They were going to try and get a top pick, draft a new quarterback. They've been quite impressive. And they match up really well against the Dallas Cowboys. The Eagles offense matches up really well against the Cowboys defense. I don't know enough about the Eagles defense yet to analyze it. I just know that they held the 49ers in check. That's all I know about that game for the most part. But offensively, the thing that Jalen Hurts is going to be really good at is not turning the ball over. And the Dallas Cowboys have looked a lot better than they we thought they were on defense. And the way you kind of can disguise your defense's shortcomings is by forcing turnovers. Miami did that last year and was one of the better defenses in the NFL because they forced a lot of turnovers. I think the Cowboys are ranked like 19th in DVOA right now at defense. And I think that's just because they're forcing a lot of turnovers against obviously Tom Brady had three, I think. And Justin Herbert had the one interception, like you mentioned on Sunday. So Dallas is putting themselves in a better position, but I think one Jalen Hurts is going to avoid the turnovers and two, they're going to run a lot of read options, power options, plays like that to dominate time of possession against the Cowboys, which is going to probably keep this game from being one of those Cowboys type shootouts unfortunately I said last week that the Cowboys Chargers game would be a shootout and both teams just kept turning the ball over a couple times to keep it from getting there but I think the final score was like 20 to 17 yeah Um, betting the over didn't go so well in that game there (laughs) nope didn't anticipate the the running the ball slash turnover margin that would come up in that game being even but I am actually going to pick the Eagles to win this game against the Dallas Cowboys this week and this is me who thought the Eagles would be terrible at the start of the season so maybe 
maybe this is a wrong pick. Maybe this is recency bias. Maybe I'm discrediting the Cowboys defense too much. I know Micah Parsons, I think pro football focus has him ranked like as the number six or seven linebacker in the NFL right now through two weeks, which obviously small sample size, but it's the only sample size we have to evaluate a player that was pretty much regarded, at least according to our guy, Blake Jude, and a lot of people in the draft as the best defensive prospect in the 2021 class. And he's been fantastic so far. So maybe Micah Parsons helps. Obviously he said Randy Gregory's going to come back this week, but I'm going to take the Philadelphia Eagles to beat the Dallas Cowboys this week and take the four and a half points. Okay, this could be a very make or break week for us as we're disagreeing on four games this week. I have the Niners, you have the Packers, I have the Cowboys, you have the Eagles, I have the Bucks, you have the Rams, and I have the Vikings, you have the Seahawks. So that could be a four-game swing there, I guess. I can go grab the Bears helmet real quick if you really want to pivot on this. Oh, if we want to just make sure that there's no (laughs) way that we're tied after this one? (laughs) No. Yeah. No, and I won't have you do that. I won't have you bank on the bears. I, I respect you too much to have you have to pick the bears there, man. <laughs> uh, no, no. I, I, I love that there's a back and forth here. And I, I was thinking about this coming in. I'm like, Oh, I feel like he might pick the bucks. I feel like he might pick the Cowboys in here. We might have some, some differences in here with the helmets. Cause of course that's my version of research is just going to my bucket of helmets and finding the, the right teams with their 2012 logos. But I would still say this might be a make or break week. Cause one person, person could have a four point swing potentially you know the funny part about this is eventually as we get later in the season it's like man i want to be right but i also just want to catch you so we're just gonna have to disagree on some but right now as it sits we are just one game difference because like i said we both went one and four in week two i went nine and seven in week one you went eight and eight in week one we're close there we haven't had the most success but uh you know the games last week i just toss them out the window I would also like to say I almost had that New Mexico one too. The New Mexico was so close to covering the spread against Texas A&M. <laughs> it was like 31 points and it was a 34 point loss. They just, they got blanked. They just needed to score one field goal and they would have covered the spread. See, I told you, man, don't bank on New Mexico, whether it's Aggie or Lobo football, just don't do it. Bad things happen. The best things out of New Mexico, well, aside from my family, shout out to you, fam. Uh <laughs> The food. I, I would say the food. If you've never had New Mexican food, treat yourself, man. Uh, some green chili burgers, green chili burritos, green chili everything. Just you know, put green chili on whatever you want. A Sunday, I've seen it. It's the craziest thing. A green chili beer. What is that? Why? I, I don't know. It's I, madness. I've never been to New Mexico, so I wouldn't know. Well, we'll have to get some shipped out there. Promo code slump, cavemancoffeeco.com. Don't be a chump, guys. Go ahead and use it. Get yourself some delicious cold brew coffee support our partners support us and hit that subscribe button leave a like if you're watching this on youtube if you're watching this on itunes leave a five-star review there juju talk sports kyle ledbetter week three on deck stay safe happy and healthy we'll see you next time